The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. better get healthy and help animals welcome to main street vegan with your host victoria moran on being vegan when life hits a week ago today my husband was in an accident he is okay thank you although he's still in the hospital where they're having a terrible time understanding the word vegan. But hallelujah, on the seventh day, instead of chicken broth and jello, they actually managed to come up with vegetable broth. I spoke with them about having a vegetarian menu, which they do, and the vegan items are marked but they said they just had a hard time translating that into the liquid diet that he needs to be on right now. So as in the world, things are changing. And if you want to pray or chant or send good wishes to William, that's much appreciated. Know that I will keep you posted. Hi, everybody. I'm Victoria Moran, your host of the Main Street Vegan Program, Always a pleasure to be with you. And today, oh my gosh, it's so exciting. Do you know what it's like when you hear about somebody and then you get to meet them? It's just, oh, oh my goodness. I'm finally in the presence of this person that I already admired. And that is what is happening today. And not only is she on the program, but she is sitting next to me at my dining room table. Isn't that cool? Her name is Ruby Warrington. And the way I learned about her was Google sent me a message that said that I was mentioned on, I think it was Mind Body Green. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. And I went there and saw that this amazing woman had written something lovely about my book, The Good Karma Diet. And so I looked her up and found out, oh my goodness, I must have been living under a rock because Ruby Warrington is the founder of The Numinous, an amazing publication, the author of two fabulous books, and she's actually someone who has started movements. 
So I, I'm going to tell you the official intro, and then we're going to meet Ruby together, and it's going to be so cool. She is the voice behind the term Sober Curious and author of the book that spearheaded a global movement to reevaluate our relationships to alcohol. Ruby is also author of Material Girl Mystical World and the Numinous Astro Deck. She's the voice behind the term Now Age and founder of The Numinous. With 20 years experience as a lifestyle journalist, Ruby is an author, speaker, book doula, curator, brand consultant, copywriter, and thought leader. With her brands, her brand work, and her live events and retreats, Ruby's mission is to inspire people to see the world through a new lens, inviting them to engage with life on a deeper and more meaningful level. And having read her two books, I'd say she's doing that, doing that really well. Welcome, Ruby Warrington. Victoria, thank you for that lovely introduction. Well, it's just, I, I can hardly believe you're here because I actually read your books on Audible. So mm -hmm. I heard you talk them to me. So that's a way to really, I think, get to know an author more. Absolutely. It's funny. I don't know why I was thinking about this, but earlier I was just thinking about how much I, I when I write my books, I've really wanted them to feel like you're having a conversation with a, with a friend. You know, for me, that's the, the atmosphere I want to create for people reading the books. And I think with the advent of audiobooks, it really does feel like that. I've met so many people now who really feel like they know me quite well. Yeah. Not, neither of my books are memoirs, but there is a lot of personal content exactly. in both of them. And um, it's lovely to be yes. able to just meet people with that kind of barrier already down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. Well, since we have this whole luxurious hour, mm. um, you know, maybe we can spend half of it on Sober Curious and half of it on Material Girl, Mystical World, and just um, fill in. So first, for people who are not yet familiar with your work, tell us about you. Well, I'm British, um, as you can hear from my accent, and I have been based here in New York for eight years last week, I just shared with you. Um, the time seems to be going very fast, and yet at the same time, my um, coming here, which I, I moved here as a result of my, my husband's job, and really it came at a time in my life when I was questioning a lot, and I sort of hit a bit of a, a turning point, I suppose, in my own path in the UK. So it came at a really good point for me to sort of throw everything up in the air and almost begin again, <laughs> or at least go go back in time in a way to the person I had been before pursuing my career there. As you mentioned in the intro, I had a long and very successful on paper career in lifestyle journalism in the UK um, that had reached a point where I was very, I was really questioning whether this was it, whether this was all that I had to offer the world, I think, with my work, you know. Um, and it was around that time, this was back in 2010, um, that I was asking myself, well, if the career is all, it's all happening, fine. What, what can I invest some time, energy in um, investigating on the side that would bring more meaning to my life um, and potentially open some new doorways and avenues for me? And the thing that came up, and I was surprised that it did, was astrology, which is just something I'd always been interested when, uh, in as a, even a very young child and sort of growing up through my teens, but had never really invested that much time in 
but it came up as I was thinking, I was asked the question I asked myself, what would be something I could research and learn about and never get bored by? <laughs> and that was the thing. And really it was just a seed that then sort of sprouted so many different avenues and um, pathways that I then proceeded to um, walk down. Um, and the idea for the Numinous, the platform that you mentioned, which really has been the springboard to everything I'm doing now, was born out of that. At the time, I was working at the Sunday Times in the UK, and my first point of call was, okay, well, I'll introduce myself to our resident astrologer, a very esteemed astrologer named Shelley von Strunkel, who's American but has been in the UK for decades, um, and asked her, you know, would you, would you mentor me? Would you teach me? would you show me the world of astrology? And she took me under her wing. And not only was she interested in astrology and very well versed, but she also is somebody who has really traveled the world and immersed herself in the study of many mystical traditions and spiritual traditions all around the world. And just spending time with her, I realized that actually this was what I was really interested in. Mm. This felt to me very meaningful. And it felt like something that had been missing from my life. I was raised atheist I suppose that there was no really real talk of anything like a higher power or anything like spirituality in my early life both my parents are very open-minded and philosophical about life my mother is really um you know she was she was interested in she was following a macrobiotic diet when I was a child and did yoga and was quite an outlier in the small village where I was where, where I grew up but my dad definitely a Darwinist through and through. And so there just really wasn't any any kind of connection to anything like a spiritual life. And now I, I began to realize that this is something that had been missing. And this is partly why I'd reached this point, pursuing a career that was ultimately quite materialistic, where it felt like there was something huge missing, you know? And so it was Shelley actually who just used the, the word numinous in one of our initial conversations and almost immediately I saw this word on the cover of a magazine and I thought wow there needs to be a platform that speaks about these subjects in a way that appeals to people who wouldn't necessarily come across them otherwise you know I'd come I had a like I said a materialistic career path in fashion magazines ultimately and I realized that actually so many of the people who read the magazines I worked for probably felt the same way that I did mm -hmm. <laughs> and yet would, would potentially never investigate or come across these, this subject matter unless it was presented in a way that was appealing to them too. Mm -hmm. And so that was the idea for the Numinous. Wow. And does Numinous have a dictionary definition? Well, um, Shelley, Shelley described it as meaning that which is unknown or unknowable. Mm. And so my definition is that the word numinous can be applied to anything that we as humans don't necessarily have logical language for, mm. and yet we experience fully. <laughs> so my favorite things in life. <laughs> the numinous, I mean, it's the, it's the, the stuff that we just feel, we just know, we, it's just imprinted in us, and yet we don't have an explanation for it. There's yes. no... You know, and I feel like that part of life is so neglected from for many of us. Yes. And once you open the door to that, it, it's everything. Oh. And, and, and everything becomes part of it. Absolutely. Because it was part of it already. Exactly. It's and amazing. I think as children, we're very much one foot in this world, one foot in the numinous realms. Yes. And we, we walk that 
that duality and that path kind of just um, intuitively. And yet the more we get pushed into the path of, you know, having a good career and ticking all of the material boxes, the less attention we pay to that part of our lives. Yeah. And I just think that's where so much um, existential malaise comes mm. from. Do you know the Wordsworth poem, Intimations of Immortality from Recollections of Early Childhood? No. <laughs> well, the poem is even longer than the title, but it's about just what you were talking about, what, what children have. It starts out, our birth is but a sleep and a forgetting. The life that rises with us, our life star, has had elsewhere its setting and cometh from afar, not in pure forgetfulness and not in utter nakedness, but trailing clouds of glory do we come from God who is our home. And then this whole long poem goes on to describe how as small children, you know, we're close to it and as we grow, we move a little bit further away, but then it can happen in adulthood that you consciously turn to go back and that's the great mystical mm, journey mm, i love that yeah he's to make you write quite a guy down for me yeah. before the, i leave yeah i used to say as a little girl that i wanted to be a mystic when i grew up and my beatles fan club pen pal wrote to me and said why don't you just be a progressive lady theologian because you could study for that in college <laughs> so <laughs> so let's bring in this other part of what you do so mm. you've got the mystical mm -hmm. world going on mm. and then the sober curious mm. where did that come in well interestingly it all there was the the, the, the questioning what's happening with my life is there more to life I, it really had me questioning so much and coincidentally that 2010 the year that I start that I dove into my astrological studies was also the year that I stopped eating meat and at around the same time I really began to question the role that alcohol was playing in my life um, but that was a very very personal journey I guess to unpack a little bit more about what was going on at the time I think that I had always been a very very happy social drinker you know drinking to socialize with friends um, not drinking every day, never feeling like I was dependent on alcohol, sometimes to excess. Yes, you've spent time in the UK and I'm sure you've seen or you've experienced it's a very alcoholic culture in a way. Alcohol and excessive alcohol consumption is very normalized, um, as it is here in the US also, but possibly even more so in the UK. I think. And so I never really considered that I was a problem drinker, largely because I never had any and I'm doing air quotes, problems yeah. Yeah. occur as a result of my drinking. I mm -hmm. didn't black out. I had never hurt myself. I didn't lose a relationship or a job or any of the things that we associate with problem drinking. Mm -hmm. However, around the time that I was really beginning to, to question what I wanted to do with my life, I couldn't help but notice that I was leaning a bit more heavily on alcohol to kind of fill in the gaps. So, and what I mean by that is whenever there was a feeling of, Mm, this doesn't feel like it. I'm not comfortable. Um, there must be more. I was. I noticed that I was using alcohol to sort of fake it in a way, to fake that I had everything that I wanted, um, and that also on the flip side of that, the after effects of of drinking were contributing in a major way to the overall sense of just griminess <laughs> that I was feeling in my life. You know, um, I began to experience quite acute anxiety, which I think often comes up when there's something numinous 
demanding to be addressed and we continually ignore it, that can manifest as anxiety, I think. And I noticed that after drinking, my anxiety would be very, very much heightened. And so I began to experiment with removing it here and there. And um, yeah, just questioning why it often felt like it was expected of me to drink and why it often was quite hard for me to say no to drinking. And this questioning is what I came to call being sober curious. But again, I, as I said, it was a very, very personal journey and wasn't something I began speaking about public to, publicly until around 2016, 2015, 2016. And actually, after my move to New York, which is when I began work on Numinous, I essentially, I feel like the universe intervened and, you know, sort of swept everything in terms of my career away from me in quite a, a glamorous and fabulous way. But I landed in New York sort of freelance and not and knocking on doors to try and get freelance writing work, which was, I was not very successful. <laughs> it's an extremely competitive hmm. city and, and when a, it comes to journalism. Yeah. Writing. And a, a terrible time in history. And when I was freelancing in the eighties, it was great. But mm. yeah, now it's so Word rates were just being slashed right and center. So much more competition for jobs. And even though I had a very well-established and high-ranking career in the UK, that appeared to count for absolutely zero. I was back to to the bottom rung of the ladder. But um, it meant that I had all this time to now, well, I I might as well do this numinous thing since I have time on my hands. And that, like I said, became the platform for so much more. But part of my beginning work on the numinous meant really I really threw myself into um, investigating all of these subjects that I wanted to cover be it astrology or the tarot or meditation or yoga or energy healing or shamanic work and what I discovered in 2012 in New York was that this was a very exciting time with many new and very progressive practitioners of these different sorts of subjects coming onto the scene hosting workshops opening centers I really threw myself into it at first And this had an impact, this dovetailed with my sober curious path in two ways. One, I found myself socializing in all these situations where alcohol wasn't served (laughs) with all these people who were actually interested in accessing altered states of consciousness without substances, maybe through breath work or through meditation or through, um, you know, intentional sharing, these sorts of things. So I was having lots of meeting lots of new friends in context where alcohol was just off the table. And then on the flip side, began to experience a lot of healing around many of the things which I hadn't addressed from my childhood and teens. I'd had some traumatic experiences as we all do. Um, and what I re- it, again, it, meant it, it shone a light on how much I had been using alcohol actually in ways that I hadn't even perceived as unhealthy but I had been using it to numb and I had been using it to block out painful experiences and memories even though I hadn't been aware that that was consciously that that's what was going on so my sober curiosity sped up once I moved to New York um, and I began to yeah take longer and longer periods of not drinking at all and realized that actually I didn't need or desire alcohol once I was able to get down to the deep reasons of why I've been using it. Um, and so after, yeah, I guess 
five years or so of this, I started hosting events on the subject of being sober curious because I really felt I had a strong intuition that I wasn't the only one who didn't necessarily identify as a problem drinker and yet had problems with drinking, you know? Yeah, it's it's utterly fascinating because as much as I know that live and let live is such an important way to be and I would never want to come off like the Women's Christian Temperance Union, but I remember reading that Deepak Chopra wrote somewhere that if ethyl alcohol had to go through the FDA testing as a new drug, it would never, ever be allowed <laughs> to be on the market. So that gives you a little cause well, for it pause. Does. And, but then I also wonder, would it be approved for prescription use and at very high cost? I mean, there are substances which do damage, mm-hmm. which are very damaging to us, which are available still yeah. in prescription form and right. highly addictive and very problematic. But yeah, it's interesting. I'm not pro prohibition, right? Exactly. but I am pro education. And yeah. what I'm truly pro is helping people understand like some of the, the deeper seated reasons that they're using a substance mm-hmm. like alcohol, which often are linked to past traumas, small T and little T traumas. And mm. Once we can begin to address those and get the proper support and therapy and healing that we need, then the need or yeah. desire for alcohol just naturally right. goes away. I love that it's called spirits. I know. It means <laughs> I know. Yeah. I think the first thing I, I think I remember writing a post for the numinous and I can't remember it was sort of Christmas time or holiday, you know, holiday season. 2013 or 14 and I called it on spirits and spirituality because I really hadn't been drinking very much but I knew that coming into the you know the holiday period and over through Thanksgiving and over Christmas that there would be a lot of drinking occasions Mm -hmm. and I'd already reading back to that piece I'd already accepted that I would be drinking Mm -hmm. and knew that I would come out of it emerge in January just feeling terrible and having to take some real time to kind of get back into this wonderful supportive therapeutic groove that I'd found for myself and was just accepting of that but it's interesting um to think back but yes I agree spirits and spirit I mean I I on on another tangent I suppose going back to this idea of the numinous I think that we crave numinous experiences and drunkenness is actually a very readily sanctioned experience of the numinous. We go to some, we don't know where we go when we get drunk, you know, and we, we do sort of leave this three dimensional world in a sense when we drink to excess, especially. And so I think that people are craving those experiences. We just don't have very many, very much access to them. Wow. That's (laughs) Well, if anybody is interested in looking into Sober Curiosity, the book uh, Sober Curious is absolutely fabulous. And Ruby is also hosting a Sober Curious retreat at the Omega Institute in uh, upstate New York, October 23rd through 25th. Tell us about that. Yes, this is, um, I actually... I've been hosting retreats at Kripalu Mm -hmm. in Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. which you probably know, Mm -hmm. um, since I think 2015, 2016, um, and have hosted now a Sober Curious retreat there two years in a row. So last year, and I just hosted one a couple of weekends ago. 
Um, and Omega reached out and asked if I wanted to bring it there too, which I'm really excited about. Everyone says that it's beautiful up there. It is indeed. <laughs> um, but the retreat is an opportunity for people to come together and to dive into some of their sober curious questions together in community. I think this is one thing that's sadly and sorely missing from our lives also, the opportunity to gather and just talk about what's really going on beneath the surface. I have limited experience with AA, but I know many people who are in the 12-step program. Um, and I think that one of the most, what I perceive from the outside is one of the most valuable things about the program is the community aspect. And actually coming together with people who are from all different backgrounds, you know, um, and hearing about the commonalities in our experiences with alcohol and addiction. And so the Sober Curious Retreats are offering something akin to that. Obviously there is a cost, <laughs> um, but yes, but so it's, it's about coming together and I have various different workshops and exercises that I guide people through to, yeah, unpack some of what's really going on with alcohol. And I think one of the most valuable things, just speaking from the weekend that just happened, I have people there who've been in and out of the rooms of AA for 20 years and it works and it doesn't work and there's things they love and there are things that they, that they don't relate to and they just want more, more perspectives. And then I have people in the room who it's the first time they've ever publicly spoken about having any kind of problem with alcohol. So at the two ends of the spectrum. And I think what's really great and what I see coming out of those experiences is the understanding that this is something, this is a substance that impacts all of our lives, regardless of the severity of our addiction to alcohol. You know, um, it's something that has its tentacles everywhere. And I think the more that we can acknowledge that, <laughs> and the more that we can acknowledge and actually witness that there are so many shades of grey when it comes to addiction as well, and so many shades of grey when it comes to what we could would define as a drinking problem, Sometimes when people say to me, did you have a drinking problem? My response is, well, define problem, <laughs> because that's very subjective. Yeah, somebody was telling me the other day that for him, it's not so much about do I meet the criteria to be an alcoholic, but what about the acronym ART, art alcohol-related troubles? Hmm. And he said, when I look at it that way, I cannot deny that my life has been peppered with mm. alcohol-related troubles. Mm -hmm. And I love acronyms, so I yes, thought that was it's cool. It's a good one. It's yeah. a good one. Well, exactly. And when I look back again, yes, I've experienced alcohol-related troubles, you know? And I think many of us do, regardless of whether we even drink. Maybe it's you know, other people in our lives that have had troubles that have had an impact on us also. So, yeah, I think, so the retreats are an opportunity for people to come together to meet other people who are on the same path um, and just to, I, I make them very interactive because, again, I think that intimate and vulnerable human connection is very lacking in our society in general, you know. Um, I have people talking about things with people they've only just met that they might not have even spoken to their therapist or their husband about. <laughs> well, that's a wonderful thing. I think when you get together, especially in one of these rural settings, to just talk about something that you're interested in, it's pretty magical, mm -hmm. pretty magical. And it's pretty magical to be talking with Ruby Warrington. And we will be back after these lovely announcements. Please stay with us.
You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back, everybody. If you're new to the Main Street Vegan program, welcome, welcome, welcome. And we have eight years of fascinating archives, as well as a brand new show that is live every Wednesday afternoon on Unity Online Radio. And then we're a podcast just about everywhere you can listen to podcasts. So thank you for listening wherever you are. And if you'd like to know more about what goes on under the umbrella of Main Street Vegan, please visit MainStreetVegan.net where our blog this week is called, Are You a Why or How Vegan? Now that's written by Carol Miller, VLCE, that's Vegan Lifestyle Coach and Educator. That means that she has come to the Main Street Vegan Academy and has been certified as a a vegan lifestyle coach. And we've had so many great responses already to this blog because it's really the idea of do we need to talk at people and tell them absolutely why they should make this change? Or do we just need to show how it can be easy and fun and delicious? And uh, I'll just let you figure out uh, which side the writer takes. So please visit there and um, subscribe to our newsletter and our blog. We'd love to have you as part of the family. And speaking of families, there is also the Main Street Vegan Podcast Listeners Group on Facebook. So do check that out. And also a shout out to the wonderful people who help us out by being our sponsor. And they are a group of amazing vegans. Matt Frazier, the no meat athlete, vegan dietitian, Dr. Pamela Ferguson, Dr. Joel Kahn, the cardiologist that you know. And they have come up with two perfect supplements that are just right for people who eat a nearly perfect diet, which I think is what we've got, But in a not quite perfect world, uh, we all need a little bit of help. So complement is B12, D3, and the essential omega-3 fatty acids in DHA and EPA form. So you might want to check them out at lovecomplement.com. And if you put Main Street Vegan in all caps in the discount box, you could, if you choose to pursue this and buy some complement for yourself, get a little bit of a discount. So thanks, No Meat Athlete. Thanks, Dr. Khan. Thanks, Dr. Ferguson, um, for helping keep me healthy. So let us get back to our wonderful conversation with Ruby Warrington, author of Sober Curious and Material Girl Mystical World. (laughs) If you're new to the world of, of mysticism, spirituality, the now age, this would be a book that you will really want to have in your library or coming into your ears in an audio book, which is how I consumed it. And uh, might just listen again now that I have met its lovely author. So um, you're a fairly new vegan, and you're saying that the sober curious movement kind of mirrors the veg curious movement. How does that work? I think it does, and I have a confession: I do eat some cheese okay. occasionally. Okay, oh, right. I'm afraid. 
we will uh, not hold that against you as long as it's a day at a time and you aren't having any today. I have not had any today and do not plan to. Yeah, it's a process. My process really is long is. and uh, people nowadays, the process is shorter. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I'm certainly... Well, there are more options now. And yeah. I think this, is, this relates to your question, right? Mm -hmm. What I've seen in the years since I've been talking about being sober curious is so many new brands and opportunities for people to choose something other than alcohol. Mm -hmm. It's about giving, it's about crowding out, you know, your drinking options so that if you're at a party or an event or a bar and you're only offered water and orange juice, it's a small, it's a, it's a low barrier, but it's still a barrier to choosing something else, you know? And so the fact that there are now so many alcohol-free options of all different styles and flavors bursting onto the market, I think is a really positive um, step in doing the how, right? You mentioned the blog post, the why or the how, and I'm very much in the why camp. I mean, rather the how camp mm -hmm. when it comes to choosing a sober life. I will give the reasons for like why this is a good idea, but more often than not, this for me is about, well, here's, here's ways that you can make this work, you know? And I think, yeah, the, the parallels are really I think it was very interesting to me when I first started speaking about being sober curious, like I said, or I implied earlier, I had this suspicion that many more people than were talking about it or would ever feel comfortable bringing it up had similar problems with alcohol. They didn't necessarily consider themselves alcoholic or see themselves as candidates for a 12 step program, yet they knew there were problems associated or connected to their drinking. And um, so it was very gratifying to me that when I did start speaking publicly about it, so many other people began coming to my events and messaging me and saying, thank you for opening up about this, you know, and, and bringing this conversation more into the mainstream. And I think I've seen the same happen around vegetarianism, you know, a curiosity born of, well, I want to feel healthier. I want to do what feels, I want to live in integrity with my values in the world. Um, I'm becoming more educated and aware of the wider implications of this this situation, of this thing. And so I've seen the two movements sort of grow in tandem, I suppose. When I said I stopped eating meat in 2010, it was because as part of my old job at the Sunday Times, I was sent to review or cover um, the premiere of, I think it was Food Inc. Mm. was one of the, the first sort of mainstream big documentaries yes. to talk about the, the problems with mass meat production um, or mass animal agriculture. And it was hosted by Stella McCartney. <laughs> it was a super fancy show showing. And it really, it was a real moment for me. And I think from that moment forward, I, I stopped eating meat um, and immediately felt better. I had had very, very troubling IBS throughout my 20s and into my early 30s based on some of those small T traumas I mentioned earlier, I believe now. Um, but immediately my digestion improved. Immediately I found I had more energy. And then I began really researching more and more of the sort of ethical and environmental implications of this choice. And it just made more and more sense for me. And I think I see this similar thing with people coming to this sober curious movement. Maybe they have one thing they want to improve in their life or one question or one persistent niggle. And then they enter into this lifestyle and it becomes so much more expansive. Mm. And I find that when you open this door, you don't expect so much behind it. You mentioned oh. Stella McCartney. 
I mean, the whole idea of cruelty-free fashion. It's like, who knew? I mean, when I first got into this, there were a lot of those Chinese black cloth uh, Mary Jane shoes that are probably keeping podiatrists in business for (laughs) decades into the future. (laughs) But now I think the clothes are amazing. The food is amazing. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if it's time in in the universe Mm -hmm. for, for this advance of of kindness. Absolutely. And I do see it linked to, from a more numinous perspective, what we might call a raising of consciousness, which really is about people just becoming so much more aware of ourselves as energetic beings and what I mean by that is so much more aware that the individual choices that we make day to day actually have a huge impact on the collective whether it's our fellow humans whether it's the animals or whether it's the environment Um, and I think that yeah more and more of us are really questioning what does it mean to live in integrity and what does it mean to live a spiritual life from that perspective beyond organized religion you know I was listening to a really interesting podcast yesterday I can't remember the name of the guy that it was with but he's written a book that's all about like how to live a a meaningful life I suppose and he was talking about how these questions what is my diet what's the media I'm consuming what are the choices I'm making in terms of where I spend my money these are spiritual questions because they all are imbued with this idea of well I know that my life impacts the whole my life is is intrinsically linked to everything to everyone and everything around me you know that seems like the seminal message of spirituality right <laughs> that that once we know that we come from some source whatever people choose to call that and because we do we are all connected you know people that don't want to read a lot of spiritual books like you and I do <laughs> That, that, that's it. That, that's exactly that's everything. Every every word I speak, every morsel I consume, um, has some kind of an impact um, on the wider world. Mm. And yeah, just I think more people are becoming aware of that and connecting to the to that as an empowering um, thing, you know, rather than being something that's restrictive. And I think previous old paradigm thinking might have seen giving up alcohol or becoming vegan is like a denial of something or a removal of something. Whereas now I think there's much more focus on what you're actually creating space to cultivate in your life when you remove these toxic behaviors. And that it makes room, you know how people talk about when you clear out your closets Mm. and that it makes room for abundance and all these things you've been wanting. And I think when you clear out some of, of these practices that are, as you say, toxic, it opens you up for for, for spirits only, you know, <laughs> spirit. spirit with a yeah. capital S. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I have seen a lot, and maybe I'm looking more at the older new age world than the now age world, which I want to ask you about in a minute. But I do find that that in that group of more eclectic spirituality, I get so much more pushback about not eating animals than I do from either conventionally religious people or people who just have no interest in this at all. Mm. Have you seen that? No, I wouldn't say that I have. No, then maybe that's maybe it's a maybe it is a generation. Yeah, thing. I think it might be. What sort of pushback do you get? Well, just I pray for the animal. I you know I pray for right. the soul of the animal, and then there's always. But I only eat humane meat, but. As I look at, of the people that I know who eat meat, 
probably 98% of them say they only eat humane meat, except only 2% is even called humane. And it's very questionable as to whether even that deserves that, mm. that label. We've got mm. you know, this thing, the humane myth. And yet everybody seems very deluded that they're cool because their meat came from a good place. And besides that, they pray for the soul of the animal. Mm. I think maybe it is a generational thing. So I'll, I'll begin by, you mentioned you wanted to touch on the term now age. Yeah. This is a term I coined to describe how I was writing about all of these practices. New age practices, or what we know as new age, meaning that many of these practices are very ancient, but mm -hmm. came into popularity in the West during the 60s and 70s, when there was a mass awakening mm -hmm. of consciousness occurring. Um, and my term now age was really, I, it was something I came up with to sort of encourage people to see these practices as actually extremely relevant for now, now this time that we're moving through now, which mm -hmm. is a portal to a degree, I think, because of technology, the world and the way that we interact with each other and even the way we understand ourselves as human beings is just like shifting beyond all kinds of recognition, you know? So we're living in very destabilizing times of change. And I think that these ancient human practices are very comfort can be very comforting, can help ground us, can help connect us to each other, can help connect us to a sense of meaning. And so the term now age was about new age, but kind of updated for now and very super relevant for the times that we're living in now, if we ever thought of them as being outdated or mm. kind of like hippy dippy or whatever. Well, what are some of your favorite practices? <laughs> Astrology remains a favorite practice of mine. And again, I think it has a terribly woo woo um, reputation and people really write it off. But I always mention this, you know, Carl Jung, who we know is the godfather of modern psychology, was a big advocate for astrology as a tool for really understanding our shadow self, for understanding um, our subconscious, for communicating with that part of ourselves through archetypes. Um, and so I, I really still use astrology daily to help me understand some of the numinous aspects of my life. But back to the thing about now age, it's also, you know, I think we're living in a time where instant gratification has become the absolute norm again because of technology plus capitalism means everything that we could now possibly desire to spend our money on is available at the click of a button mm. and this has created an extremely addictive sort of mindset about everything that we consume so again i think that a practice like meditation or technology i'm sorry astrology or even the tarot anything that can kind of give us some perspective to look at our life and our choices from a zoomed out place where we're separated from the desire impulse. We can actually question, is this right for me? Am I entering into this with integrity? Is very um, important. But obviously one of the, the major um, portals that we're passing through is this very troubling time with the environment. And I think that people who consider themselves to be on a spiritual path now cannot ignore that in the environmental impact of many of our practices. Um, and I think that the environmental piece with vegetarianism and veganism is becoming much more mainstream. It was a, it's a, it's a, a very compelling reason for people of younger generations, particularly who are looking at the decades to come yes. with fear, absolute justified fear. Yes. Making the choice to not eat meat is, I think, something that people see as a very easy 
first step, something they can do in terms of just their everyday lives to mitigate their impact on the environment. So I think that the, the spiritual community is probably very open now to veganism and vegetarianism for environmental reasons. Yeah. In the hospital, a, a young man, young physician who was going to be part of the surgical team that uh, did my husband's surgery saw that my husband was wearing a vegan <laughs> armband, uh, not provided by the hospital, but he wore it in. And the doctor said, oh, I'm vegan. I've been vegan four years. And I said, oh, you know, what inspired you? And I was expecting it to be something about cardiology. You know, he's a doctor. But he said, I saw cowspiracy. Mm. And I, I do it for the environment. So mm. that was something to celebrate. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, and there have been a number of films. It's interesting to me that there hasn't been a, a similar documentary about alcohol. <laughs> You well, know, maybe that's your next project. Maybe. Let's see. <laughs> it's it's quite an adventure. Mm -hmm. I was invited um, by a filmmaker to produce his documentary, A Prayer for Compassion, to introduce vegan ideals to people who identify as religious or spiritual. And I didn't know when I said yes that it was going to be a four and a half year journey mm. to date. But it's been so gratifying. And it's an interesting medium film that it seems to attract people that that books don't attract and other things don't. It, it, it reaches, I don't know, it's kind of like water. It seems to seep into places where you wouldn't think it would go. So. Mm, absolutely. I think that's, yeah, documentaries <laughs> can be so powerful. And they I'm can so indeed. grateful that we have access now to so much wonderful information. And again, I think that the access that we now have to information about the impact of animal agriculture in particular, mm -hmm. it's obviously been huge. Yeah, I think that's very true with the internet. People just click on something that they would not voluntarily look at if somebody said, I mean, we had a wonderful documentary back in, in the, gosh, mid-80s called The Animals Film. Julie Christie did the voiceover, a little bit like uh, Earthlings and Dominion that a lot of people have watched now. But you had to want to see it. You had to get yourself out of your house and into a theater. And that meant a lot of people who already knew about this right. were watching it. And now you just open your Facebook and almost accidentally Absolutely. you're forced to see this is what goes on. Do I want to support it? Do I not? Yeah. It's much harder to unsee yes. the things that would it would be more convenient perhaps not yes. to see. Yeah. So Ruby Warrington, I've heard people call you new age it girl, even <laughs> though you, you're not even new age, you're now age. But tell us about your spiritual life. What does your day look like? Well, like I said, astrology is a daily practice for me. And I have, how do you um, practice astrology Well, I, I, you know, have studied my own, how to read my own birth chart. And I actually teach people in one-on-one -on -one sessions mm -hmm. now how to read and understand your own chart. Mm -hmm. With that information, you can have, you can create or, or do a much more nuanced divination for yourself based on where the planets are currently transiting. So I have a pro app on my phone. And before I do anything else, in the day, well, before I do anything else in the day, I do my 20 minutes of transcendental meditation. Yes. <laughs> That's my morning kind of, I'm awake. Oh, when I wait, before I do that, I feed Larry. Yes. <laughs> my cat. Yes. <laughs> feed Larry, transcendental meditation. And then I look at my astrology app so I can see how my, my own personal 
chart is being impacted by the planets as they're currently transiting. And so that gives me a sort of a cosmic weather forecast, I suppose, for the day, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. um, and it just really helps to set me up and, and almost place myself in this wider community that I am part of, you know. Um, so, yeah, astrology is a daily practice um, and the meditation. And I also do yoga most days, but I do yoga in my pajamas, in my apartment. I don't really go to classes, although I did mention to you before we started, I recently, well, just today, signed up for ClassPass as a writer, particularly. I mean, I've had two books and you mentioned the Numinous Astro Deck, which yes, is a deck yes. of cards that I created to help people learn the language of astrology. They're sort of flashcards with illustrations and keywords on them. So you can start looking at, well, what does it mean that there's a new moon in Pisces? And for my chart, that's happening in the 10th house. And you can begin to make your own divinations with the deck. But those three book projects all came out within the past two and a half years. I've also hosted two podcasts. You mentioned The Numinous as an online publication that I was, you know, running as a, a, a daily publication up until about six months ago. I had to take a break. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's really been a, a very busy time, but a lot of time in my apartment as well, which I love. Um, I can be super productive there. But I'm now, um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get a bit more out in the world. So I'm looking forward to heading to more yoga classes in the city, trying some different teachers and styles. Um, but also, you know, I felt so enriched when I was first starting the numinous attending all of these different workshops, whether it was sound baths, whether it was journaling workshops, whether it was crystal workshop, whatever it was. Um, so I, yeah, I have a new commitment to myself to attend at least a couple of those sorts of uh, events every week too. Yeah. And I recommend aerial yoga. Have you done that? No, I haven't. Om Factory. Okay. That's on your class pass on Union Square. Okay. It, it is the most fun. I gave it to myself one class. I said, okay, it's your 65th birthday. You can do one aerial yoga class before you die. And I was totally hooked, which really surprised me because even though I love yoga I've never really liked exerting myself, <laughs> but Ariel is so exciting because it's kind of meditating. You have to be completely focused so you don't fall on your head. Right. And there's something thrilling about that. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I mean, in terms of, you know, I don't pray. Mm -hmm. I don't have that sort of a spiritual practice, but mm -hmm. I, the practices I described are always that I connect to the big whys of my life and connect to my numinous self and communicate uh -huh. with my numinous self. But I also have to say, I really believe that my, I have very intentional interactions with the people I'm closest to now, mm -hmm. to the point where, you know, I have friends where we will set a topic and give each other time to talk about that. Mm. And so I see those that, those kinds of interactions as spiritual practice as well. Oh, they, they are indeed. Mm -hmm. There's a, a wonderful woman in Brooklyn that I have talked to most weekdays for a really long time. <laughs> and, you know, we, we do a little prayer opening and then we commit to each other the important things we want to do for the day. And sometimes if it's something scary that we want to put off, then we'll bookend and say, okay, when I do it, I'll call mm, you back. Mm. And, you know, I feel like if, if I moved to Madagascar, 
she would still be important in my life. We'd have to WhatsApp it or something. Yeah, I love that. That's yeah. so inspiring because I've recently been, yeah, I've been wanting more of that. And I think that level of commitment of someone, it's really, yeah. it, it just creates such a, a deep connection. It does. To another human, but also to your own intentions for your life. Exactly. Yeah. And we only have a couple of minutes left, and I have this hard stop that is the bane of my existence. I don't want to interrupt you in the middle of a thought, but I do want to ask you about TM, because I also do TM. I have never been even in the ballpark of perfect on the afternoon Mm -hmm. meditation, and yet I've heard that when you get the twice a day thing going, <laughs> that's when the magic is preeminent in your life. So what's your TM experience? It's mornings. And I, that's about five years now, but without missing a morning. And Ooh. actually, I listened to a podcast two days ago with um, the writer Emma Forrest. And she was talking, she's a, a TM convert, and she, was, she does her two a day. And she was saying that the script for her or the story for her latest novel came to her in a series of dreams after she'd committed to her TM practice twice a day. She said she literally had a dream every night for like two weeks and it gave her the whole script of this novel. And it it made me recommit. So so yesterday I did my 20 minute afternoon session and I really thought maybe this is something else I can try for Lent rather than removing something. Maybe I can commit to 40 days. That sounds like a oh, great the, idea. the afternoon Well, TM. you know what? Let's just bookend <laughs> Shall that. Shall we do it? Let's do it. We will okay, shake it Okay, we're shaking. Right here. So <laughs> listeners, you didn't see that, but uh, my friend Annalie is here as our yeah, audience and, and she saw it. And Forbes knows that, uh, okay. Let's do it. All right. And then we'll go over to the TM Center and celebrate and they'll say, well, you should have been doing, have been it, doing it for years long. already. <laughs> well, well, last 45 seconds, last Mm. word. Mm. Oh, well, I just want to say thank you, you know, to follow someone's work who you've been so committed to your cause and to your work for many years. It's very inspiring. Oh, bless you. Um, It's it's tiring to put yourself (laughs) out there, you know, to be a spokesperson for something um, like veganism or sobriety. And it's, yeah, it's great to to meet someone who's been walking the path for so long. Well, it's wonderful to meet you. So thanks to Unity Online Radio. Thanks to everybody for listening. So be happy, be healthy, be blessed, be vegan. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We talk to the animals and we know you can too. On the Animal Communication Podcast hosted by the three of us, myself, Julie Heert, Karen Dendy-Smith, and Meredith Tolleson. We will show you how to deepen your relationship with your beloved animal companions, whether they're alive or in spirit. As soul-level animal communicators, we explain the process and explore topics such as health, behavior, and play, all from the animal's perspective. So subscribe and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and listen as part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.